The last time we looked at Jesus being on trial by the religious authorities, the Sanhedrin, Peter was also there, but it says that he was following at a distance, and he was warming himself at their fire, at the enemy's fire. And the leaders, couldn't, they could find no evidence, not even any false witnesses, to justify putting Jesus to death. But finally, they did find two who would, who would say something, and they, they actually twisted Jesus' words. But the real issue is, and the whole thing there is, is who is Jesus? Who was he? Who is he? They asked him, are you the Christ? They put him under oath. Are you the Christ, the Son of God? He was asked by the chief priests. And he had to answer the question, and he, and he answered, and he said, yes, it is as you say. They called that blasphemy, that Jesus would claim that, that he would claim to be the Son of God. In other words, that he would claim to be God. He was claiming to be the Messiah, but also God the Son, the divine nature of Jesus Christ. This is one of the most important doctrines of, of all uh, the Christian faith, who Jesus is. This is where all the cults go off. This is where people get mixed up. It's all about who Jesus Christ is. The sinless Son of God, the only way to the Father, that He shared the glory of God in heaven, that He's able to forgive sins and give everlasting life, that He would die, that He would rise from the dead, that one day He would return to judge the world. This isn't just a teacher, is it? He isn't just a mere man. So how do we respond to his claims? As I mentioned last time, either he was lying, which really makes him a bad moral teacher, right? If people say he was a, he was a good teacher, he had a lot of good morals and a lot of things, but if that's the case, then he's not really a very good moral teacher because he was lying about some of the things that he said. Or maybe he was just a lunatic, he was delusional. Or he was who he claimed to be, that he was Lord over all. So it matters how you and I respond to his claims, who he claims to be. It has eternal consequences. Today I want to look at the end of Judas's life. He was one of Jesus' disciples. He was there, but he was not one of Jesus' own. He was there, but he was not there. Judas, the one who had betrayed Jesus, the one who turned it turned him in, he ended up committing suicide, as you know. And suicide, I want to talk not only about Judas, but I want to talk about suicide as well, because it's a very serious issue, and this is what happens in Judas's life. I want to ask you, first of all, how many of you have been affected personally by suicide? If you wouldn't mind raising your hands. Like at least half of you. And I don't want you to raise your hand about this, but how many of you, I want to ask the question, how many of you have perhaps contemplated it for yourself? Very serious thing. Let me read to you just a few st statistics before we move on. And again, this all kind of, kind of works together. The end of Judas's life, this is how his life ended. And it's not a very good picture. Suicide, of course, is taking one's own life. It, it, 
the, the National Institute of Mental Health, they say it's a major preventable public health problem. In 2007, it was the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S., accounting for almost 35,000 people. 35,000 people. That's a lot of people. But think about this, too. For every suicide, for every person who died by suicide, there were 11 attempted suicides. So you can multiply that by 11 in terms of people who got to the point where they, where they wanted to end it all. That's what, 350 plus 35, 385, almost 400,000 people. Is that my math right? In one year. Suicide's seventh leading cause of death for males, 15th for, for females. It's, uh, it's uh, not that, that uh, males are worse off, but they think they're more effective in doing it. Almost four times as many males die as females by suicide. That's not a good picture to think about. Then you think about a young people... Uh, from between the ages of 15 to 24, it's the third leading cause of death. And, you know, from 10 to 14, it's very, very small, but from 15 to 19, it, it jumps up to uh, uh, like 7 per 100,000, and then uh, from 20 to 24, it jumps, like doubles up to like almost 13 per 100,000. And then from there on out, it just it stays up around those numbers and then it even gets high, higher again for people who are 65 and older. And then you reach 85, and then it's very, it gets very high. They wrote this, Most suicide attempts are expressions of extreme distress, not harmless bids for attention. A person who appears suicidal should not be left alone and needs immediate attention. This is serious, very serious stuff. This is contemporary stuff. Average of one person every 15 minutes kills themselves in our country. Every 15 minutes, somebody's just killed themselves. Somebody just killed themselves. Eight hundred and sixty-four thousand attempts in the U.S. According to this other website here. Attempts to one, uh, translates to one attempt every 38 seconds. But this was an interesting thing. I asked you to raise your hands about, about some of you affected. It says that each suicide intimately affects at least six other people. So if 35,000 people have died, taken their own lives six times that, have been intimately affected, which is why we see so many people that have been affected by this here today. One of every 65 in Amer uh, Americans in 2007 were affected by this. One positive note, if you, if you want to call it a positive note, they rank the, you know, the states, right, for who is like the worst and who is the, has the lowest number. And this is, on the positive side, is Rhode Island is down like number 45th. And that's not because we're a small state, that's per capita kind of thing. So that's an accurate down 45th. So that's a good thing. It's not as bad here. Alaska was number one. That's kind of interesting. Montana was number two. And uh, the lowest 
which really surprised me was District of, of Columbia, 51st, they're separate, and then New Jersey, number 50. I'm moving to New Jersey, I think, because <laughs> I'm definitely not moving to D.C., I'll tell you that right now. Let's, let's look at Matthew chapter 27. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a little bit. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders, they came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him and they led him away and they handed him over to Pilate, the governor. You remember they had this trial at night and we, we looked at that, and, but it was illegal the way they were doing it. So they had to make it official. They had to make it legal. So they had this meeting now after daybreak. This is the morning of the day of the cross. They had already decided their minds were made up, and this was just to make things look proper. But they, the Jewish leaders, did not have the authority to put anyone to death. They were restricted by Rome. Being under the Roman government, they were restricted. They were not allowed to put Jesus to death or anyone except for a very rare circumstances. But in turning him over to the Romans, interestingly enough, prophecy was being fulfilled. Why do I say that? Because the prophecies are that Jesus, you know, the way it's described, he would die upon a cross. You can read about it in, in Psalm 22 and in Deuteronomy chapter 21. When you look at the, these two, again, we're, we're talking about Judas here. Jesus would die on a cross of wood, but Judas would die hanging himself from a tree. The Jewish people, though they hated Rome and they certainly hated Pilate, he was not one of their friends, they were willing to use them, the Roman government and Pilate, to satisfy their Greater hatred, someone has written. So verse 3, it says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, he saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse, and he returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. It says that he saw that Jesus was condemned, and, and, I, and I had to think, well, what did you think was going to happen? You turned him in so that he could be you know, condemned, so that he could be uh, persecuted and punished. We have to think, and, and this kind of issue comes out here about, about our actions and how they affect other people. He was sorry, and though some of your versions might say repentant, he was not repentant. He had regret, he had remorse, but there was no true repentance Someone said, not a godly repentance that leads to salvation. He was sorry for the effects which his crime brought on himself. He was yet unwilling to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There is godly sorrow that brings repentance, Paul talks about in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. But there's also a worldly sorrow that brings death. It's one thing to be sorry we got caught, we know this, but it's another thing to have godly sorrow that makes us change, that turns our lives around. Repentance, that's what repentance means. It, it means turning from one direction, 180 degrees to another direction. If I am going this direction, and I say, oh, I'm really sorry I'm doing this, but I keep going down that direction, what good is that? I'm sorry I'm doing this, but I'm going to keep doing it anyways. That's not repentance. That's not godly sorrow. 
He, re- he decides to return the money, and, and, and notice he returns the money to the chief priests and the elders. He wants to return the money, but who did he go to? The, the question is, he wanted to get rid of that money because it's a reminder of what he did, but, but who did he ultimately offend? Who was his real problem with? It's with Jesus, with God. He went to these people. Though they should have been the spiritual leaders, they should have directed him where they, they, that he should go. They should have directed him, you need to go right to God to get this straight. Now, of course, they would never say that. He went to the wrong one. Sometimes we go to the wrong place. We need to, we need to go to God first. That's why you read verses in, in like Psalm 51 where David says, you know, against you and you only have I sinned. Ultimately, all sin is ultimately against God. Ultimately, we need to go to Him. We need to get on our faces before Him, cry out to Him. There are times we need, we need to go and make it right with people, yes, but ultimately... Now, now, Judas here, you know, he was kind of trying to undo what he did and, and maybe relieve himself of the responsibility of it. But was that possible? The commentator Barclay, he says, the most terrible thing about sin is that we cannot put the clock back. We cannot undo what we have done. When we remember that no action can ever be recalled, it should make us doubly careful how we act. You know, when you say something, you, you just wish, oh, I wish I could take those words back because the pain and the, and the effect of those words and, and it's the same with our actions. He wanted to, to take it all back. We should think about it before we do or say. He points this out as well, and this is kind of interesting too. He says the strange thing about sin is that a man can come to hate the very thing that he gained by the sin, meaning the money. He got those, those 30 silver coins, but, but he, he wanted to get as far away from those as he possibly could. The very prize he won by sinning can come to disgust and revolt and to repel him until his one desire is to fling it from him. Most people sin because they, they think that if they can only possess the forbidden thing, it will make them happy. But the thing which sin desired and took can become that, can become the thing that a man above all would, would rid himself of, and so often he cannot. We do this, and then there's something in our lives, and we can't even get rid of it. It's there, it won't go away. Look what he says in verse 4 he says, I have sinned. He said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Again, speaking to the priests, not speaking to God. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. Jesus was innocent. Judas knew that, yet he rejected him. He didn't go to the one who could forgive him. And these spiritual leaders, they said, you know what? That's your problem. They didn't even care. Of course, we knew that this greater hatred that I mentioned earlier, that was what motivated them. Ultimately, what they said was true, though, that it was his responsibility. He was responsible for his actions. He couldn't pass the buck, in other words. But didn't they also have responsibility in this? They're the ones that paid him to go and do that. They both had equal responsibility. And, and you, know, you and I have to be, you know, own up to our own responsibilities and go to God with our sins and our faults and our failures. 
Verse 5 says, so Judas threw the money into the temple and he left and then he went away and hanged himself. This word for temple means actually into the part where the priests only could go, where he could not go, but he, he, he flung the money. He went as far as he could go in the temple courts and he flung the money, if that's the right word, where only the priests could go, like try to get it right where they were into the court of the priests, and it says, then he went away and hanged himself. What a sad situation. Was this the answer to go and hang himself? Couldn't he have turned to God? I believe that he could. One writer says this, that Judas was unable to rid himself of, of his images of Christ, crushed by a sense of guilt, yet unwilling to humble himself and ask for forgiveness. He went out and hanged himself. Think about that for a minute. Think about suicide for a minute. Terrible, terrible thing. As I said, as I mentioned and read earlier, you know, the, this pressure this, the, that is upon us, but for him, because of his choice, because of what he did. And he ends up trying to take care of it himself rather than going to someone who could help him. The Life Application Bible Commentary says Peter had remorse too, but he didn't commit suicide over it. Rather, Peter, he went through it all. It says he trusted, he waited, and he was restored. But poor Judas, who had last heard Jesus call him friend, he was so confused and frustrated he could see no options. He was a double agent who had no place to call home, no friend to help. He said, when tragedy strikes you with remorse, remember that God watches and cares and brings life out of tragedy. Don't imagine that killing yourself accomplishes anything. Don't even think about it. Allow friends to help you through the worst part and trust God to restore your life. It's not the answer. It doesn't accomplish anything except affecting so many people, six people that are intimately around you and I. Let's face it, and I, I know this personally, that life is hard. Sometimes it's harder than other times. And when we get swallowed up when the times that it's really hard, that's when we think if we could just not be here and we could just finish it now. But life doesn't always stay just the way it is. Things change. You know, the tide comes in, but the tide also goes out. If we would hold on and we hang in there, if we had someone who would help us. Sometimes we just don't want to be here. I don't know about you. Do you, do you ever feel that way? I just don't want to be here sometimes. Not here, not this place. I always want to come here and be with you people, mostly. Most of you. But there's sometimes in life where you just, I just wish, I just, you know. But we don't take life and death into our own hands. You see, that's the danger. You can read in the Bible, there's so many people in there that just didn't want to be here. Moses, in Numbers 11, he says, you know, he's talking to God. He says, if this is how you're going to treat me, he had this burden on him. He says, the burden is too heavy for me. I can't carry all these people by myself. He says, if this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I have found favor in your eyes, if you like me, kill me. 
And do not let me face my own ruin or I'm going to be killed by the circumstances. Did God answer him and say, yeah, okay? No. Elijah, you know the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. He, he, you know, he had this incredible victory right up on Mount Carmel. Incredible victory. God just did incredible things. And then, and then after it's all done, there was, you know, the, the wife of the king says, you know what? If I get my hands on you, you're done. And it says, he, it says he ran for his life. He was afraid and he ran for his life after this incredible victory. He, he went to Beersheba in Judah and he left his servant there. He went by himself. He came to a broom tree, which I'd like to see what a broom tree looks like. It says he sat down under it and he, and he, and he prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I know better than my ancestors. This is Elijah. We think of Elijah, the great, incredible prophet, but, but he says, I want, it, I want it to be over. I don't even want to be here. Jonah, of course, Jonah had severe attitude problems at the end of the book of Jonah. But he says, now, O Lord, take away my life, for it's better, me, better for me to die than to live. And the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Job, Job says, I despise my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. Can you relate to any of these things these guys are saying? I mean, I do. Sometimes I get so, I can get so down. I, I, I turn to 1 Kings 19 and read those words over again and see what God did for him. See, the word of God is powerful. It's living and active minister to you and I. Paul the Apostle, we think, man, that guy, is like, that guy was so spiritual, so incredible. What a teacher he was. What a preacher. We know this verse. He says, for me to live is Christ, to die is what? Gain. He said those. We know. We quote those words. So, you know, when we die, we know that it's going to be better than life here. But if you continue to read he says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But he says, it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. He said, you know what? I would much rather just be there in heaven. I'd much rather, much rather be there. He says, but, but God has something for me to do here. And for you, I'm going to stay. For you. Maybe for your, one of those six people that are close around you, for, for them you will stay. Not for yourself. Is it not true that suicide is one of the most selfish things that we can do? Because who are we thinking about ultimately? Me. I want to end how I feel. There is a reason for you, I believe, and for me to be here. We may not know what it is. Just because we don't know what it is doesn't mean that we're not supposed to be here. There's someone, there's somewhere, there's something yet to do, somewhere yet to serve, something yet to accomplish, someone to help. One little side note I want to pour into this equation, if I will. 
the spiritual dimension of suicide. We have seen earlier when we talked about Judas, uh, it says in John 13, 27, and also in Luke chapter 22, verse 3, tell us that Satan had entered Judas. He'd entered him. So there's a, there's a spiritual dimension to this too, this pushing. And I, and I truly believe that the enemy is involved in pushing people in that direction. Not every certain, every individual, not every particular case. But John tells us, the gospel John tells us that Satan is a murderer and also that he comes to steal and kill and destroy. So there's certainly some spiritual aspect dimension to this thing too. Not in every case. Don't misquote what I'm trying to say here. But there's no question about in Judas's case, Satan is inside this guy pushing him. And terrible situation. Let's finish this little section before we close. The chief priests, they picked up the coins and they said it's against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. And then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. They wanted to still be spiritual. I couldn't believe this. To be spiritual, they couldn't keep the money as if they were spiritual by what they did in, in condemning Jesus to be, to be killed. So they bought this field, the field where Jesus, excuse me, the field where Judas died. You can read in Acts chapter 1. They also trying to rid themselves of their responsibility. Judas wanted to get it out of his possession. Now the priests, they want to get this out of their possession as well. So a couple of questions. What happened to Judas when he died? The Bible makes it clear that he faced an eternity separated from God. Why do I say that? Because he did not belong to Jesus Christ. When he died, he faced, he faced an eternity separated from God. You can read about that, John 13, John 6, Acts 1. <coughs> What about a believer, a true believer who commits suicide? Maybe you've thought about that question. I believe that a person who is truly born again, truly born again, will be with Jesus. I do not believe that suicide is the unpardonable sin. Though I want to make it so very clear that this is not what God would want for a believer. That God has given us people. God has given us his spirit. God has given us options that we need to turn to. Perhaps I, I, you know, I don't know every one of you and what situation your life is in today. Maybe you're feeling that way today. Talk to me. Talk to someone. If you find yourself in that situation, don't just, don't just be like Elijah, completely separated. But on the other hand, if you don't belong to Jesus like Judas did not, you need to talk to him now. 
and give yourself to him. It doesn't matter what you or I have done. Jesus is there for you and for me. Let's pray together, shall we?